right. All of our young people can be dismissed at this time. They can make their way to their class. 12 years and under can make their way to the kids' class. And for the rest of us in this room, we're going to be in the book of James, chapter number 1. James, chapter number 1 this morning. So find your way over that direction to the book of James. There at the back of your Bible. Uh, you find your way all the way towards the back, the book of Hebrews. And right after the book of Hebrews, you find the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter number 1 this week. Amen. I'm looking forward to this coming week. We do have VBS. We'll talk more about that at the end of the service. But I hope that if you're able to, to come and to be a part of the uh, VBS and helping out and things like that, bringing the kids over, it's going to be a great time. It's going to be from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock each morning. And uh, we're looking forward to having them playing games, having lots of fun. You can sign up online, get your kids registered. Please share with other people. We want as many kids here as we can. And uh, it's going to be a great time together this week. And so uh, looking forward to our church having the opportunity to serve and to be a blessing to some of the kids in our community. James chapter number 1 this morning, and we're going to look at these first four verses of James chapter number 1, and see what the Lord has for us as we get started. Let's read these verses, and then we'll pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Let's look at James chapter number 1, verse number 1. The Bible says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, I count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let's ask for the Lord's help this morning. Father, thank you for your word, the truths that we find in it. And Lord, as we look at it this morning, I pray, God, that our hearts would be softened. And Lord, that as we read the scriptures as we look at these words i pray god that then our our soft hearts would be challenged i pray lord for each person in this room that they would hear from you this morning i pray for some that maybe is in this room that's never accepted you as their personal savior that this morning you'd catch their attention and they would make that decision father i pray for christians in this room that are maybe going through trials that we're going to talk about this morning that they would be encouraged by your word and see the purpose behind them and father i pray for each one of us that ultimately lord whatever way that we need, that we would hear from you. I ask, Lord, your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to move in our midst. I've already asked you to fill me. I ask again to speak through me. And Lord, I, I need you this morning, just like I need you every Sunday. But God, I need you this morning. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, touch my lips, and help me only say those things that you desire for me to say. And I pray, God, that we would hear from you in a special and unique way today. God, thank you for what you've already done in the music. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do in the kids' program. And now, Lord, as we gather here in this morning, the worship service, I pray that you would work in a unique and a special way. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We pray this in your son, Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, last week we began our journey into the book of James. So we, we've been working through various books of the Bible since the Lord's allowed me to become the pastor here. And, and I'm excited to dive into the book of James. I shared with you last week about how it's one of my favorite books in the Bible, uh, even to read, to, to study, and now to get to preach through. I'm looking forward to all that God has for us as we look at the book of James. We saw last week that James, the half-brother of Jesus, he he began this letter with one of the things that he desired for us to know above all others. We saw last week that he desired that we knew that he was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Before he became the the great pastor of the church at Jerusalem that that ran somewhere over 20,000 people. Before he he led that congregation. Before he would eventually be martyred for the name of, of, of his Savior. James dipped that quill into the ink. And he put that, that pen to the parchment and he gave to us this book, this book of James. The first book that we have that was recorded before all the other New Testament books. Verse number one went on to tell us who it was that James was pinning this letter to. We saw the Bible tells us that James, the servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. And he says this greeting. Last week we, we talked about the, the multitudes of believers who, who uh, remained to Jerusalem after Christ had given that command in Acts 1.8. Uh, God had, uh, had said to them, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witness unto me. Where? Both at the same time in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We, we saw last week that, he, that God had given that command, but rather than them going, they remained at Jerusalem. And we saw the church that that grew in population into an immense amount and then we slowly walked down that path with with Stephen as Stephen preached the word to the to the religious crowds and to the priests and, and and as he got to the end of it and gave that invitation as they stoned him to death as you turn the page into chapter number eight of the book of Acts we find that the Bible tells us that it was because of this persecution because of the threatenings that the disciples and that the believers were scattered abroad, thus fulfilling the command of Christ from Acts 1.8. It was these people that, that James was writing to. These young believers who, in the midst of, of a boldness that they had for Christ, as these first century Christians, no doubt faced fears. Fears of what lied ahead as they followed Christ. Fears of, of, of the, the banishment that, that now would come upon them as though they had to go to a place that maybe they'd never been before. They had to leave their homes, everything that they knew. Why? Because of the persecution that was coming upon them. Fears that they faced questions, questions like, what next? What do we do now? It's with that background that James, for the first time in this letter, wraps his arm, as we mentioned, around those, those young believers, those young Christians, those first century Christians there. As he wrapped around his arm around them, and for the first time in this book, he says, oh, my brethren, and he just brings them in close. He says, I got something I want to share with you, I want to help you with. And what he tells them, honestly, leaves many of us, leaves me, scratching my head. Look what he says in verse number two. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. That doesn't even make sense what he says. I've been through various trials just like many of you have. And and some of you are going through this morning. And as you go through trials, you... You face a a wealth of emotions. Some trials made me feel fearful, right? And and, and, and scared. Sometimes the trials will will make you feel angry. Why is this happening? Sometimes it it just makes you feel uncertain. What's going to happen next? I don't know what to do. But but here in, in verse number two, James encourages these believers that in the midst of 
their trials, in the midst of their persecution and their uncertainty and their, and their being misplaced, in the midst of all of these things, he, he says, listen, God wants you to have something. <laughs> he says, God wants you to have joy. I don't know about you, but, but through the trials in my life, the things that I have faced, I know this, joy has been pretty far down on the list. <laughs> it's not anywhere near the top, in fact. But God in His Word knows, knows better than I do. In Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 11, He says this, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you, Jesus says. In Philippians chapter number 1, the Bible gives this interesting verse that we've referenced many times before. In verse number 29, it says, For unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, to have salvation, but He gives you another gift, but also to suffer for His his sake. He says, I've given you this gift, this gift called suffering. I don't know about you, but that's one gift that I'd be okay not to unwrap. I'd be okay to leave that one under the tree. I don't think I want that one. And yet he says, this is a gift that I have given to you in the midst of of this gift that God has given. He says, listen, you should have joy. Joy. How in the world do we have joy in the midst of trials? How How can a person face times of incredible difficulty and still rejoice through them how is that even possible well well james tells us why we should have joy through our trials he tells us this first of all that trials are where your faith grows look again at verse number three knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience uh, the word faith is, is used various times throughout the, the word of God. It's used many times, actually. And, and as it's said many different times, it, uh, the word faith, whenever it's, it's said, sometimes has different meanings to, to what it means. We, we, we understand that there is the faith. What is that talking about? Well, Philippians chapter number 1. We, we preached about it just a couple of weeks ago. Verse number 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fa- fast in one spirit, one mind, straving together for the faith of the gospel. The faith. In Colossians 1, verse number 23, says, If you continue in the, in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. He says, the, the faith that we're supposed to be grounded and settled in. And in, in chapter number 2 of the same book, he says in verse number 7, Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, in verse 13, he says this simply, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. This faith that we, that we hear in this part, in the, whenever, we, whenever we're reading these verses, is, is, a, is a system of, of beliefs. The, the faith that you hold, that you hold. Maybe somebody has asked you before, what, what is your faith? Maybe you've had somebody ask that before. Maybe you've asked somebody that before. What, what did you mean by that? What, you meant, what was your system of beliefs that you have? What, what is the system of beliefs that you hold to? You may have said something like, 
Well, I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came down to this earth, that He was born of a virgin. I, I, I believe that, that He lived perfectly for 33 and a half years, and then He died on the cross. Maybe you said something similar to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, when he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory that which I have preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for, for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Maybe you didn't use those exact words, but if somebody said, what is your faith? Maybe you said something similar to that. I, I believe, I, my faith is, is this. If somebody asks you, maybe that's how you would respond. But that's not the faith that James is talking about. He's talking to, not talking about a, a system of beliefs as we would think about in those other verses. No, in, in fact, the, the faith that James talks about it, it is, is, is the other type of faith that we find that he points through really through the entire book of James, the entire book that he wrote to us. It, it, this, this verse, and for the most part, the rest of the book is referring to the other kind of faith. What kind of faith? It's a faith that is provoking to action we we will get there and, and further explain it but it's it's this faith that james talking about in james chapter number two verse number 20 where he says but wilt thou know o vain man that faith without works is dead he's not talking about the faith he's talking about your your action faith that's what he was referring to there it's this faith in Hebrews 11, verse number 1, where the Bible says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Seen. In Matthew chapter number 17, verse number 20, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto the mountain, Move thence to yonder, yonder place, and it shall remove. And Nothing shall be impossible unto you. It's not talking about a set of belief systems. It's, it's talking about a faith that, that moves us to action, a trust in God. This was the faith that Joshua had when God came to him with a plan to take down the wall of Jericho. You remember the story there in the book of Joshua's. God came to Joshua and and, and, and as Joshua and the army of Israel had come to this great formidable foe, the, 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 the city of Jericho. The city was, was absolutely massive. It had two walls before you'd enter into it. Both of them were absolutely enormous. They could drive chariots across them. Huge walls in front of them. And God comes to, to Joshua and says, Joshua, I have a plan for how you're going to overcome the city, how you're going to defeat the city of Jericho. And I can see Joshua there saying, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? I mean, are we gonna, am I going to put the horses first? I'm going to put them in the back. You know, are, are we going to put our strongest men first? Are we going to hold them back? The archers, I, I, I'm sure we're going to keep them back a little bit so they can shoot over the wall. I mean, what's the plan, Lord? Are we going to shoot fire? What's the plan? You remember what God said? Joshua, here's what the plan. For six days. Yeah, yeah, Lord, what are we going to do? Six days? It's going to take six days for us to take the... What are we going to do? Six days, Joshua, here's what you're going to do. You and all the men are going to march around the city silently. <laughs> and Joshua's like, oh, okay, well, um, 
All right, that, okay, we, we'll do that. Okay, we'll march around the city. But then, like, after that, the seventh day. Okay, the seventh day. That must be what, okay. So we're as an intimidation factor, clearly. We're going to march around the city for six days. They're going to be intimidated. And then on the seventh day, that's when the war is going to start. That's when the battle is going to take place. All right, Lord, is that that's the plan? And the Lord says, Joshua, on the seventh day. The seventh day. Six days, you're going to march around the city. On the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. And when I tell you, you're going to yell and break pots and make lots of noise. <laughs> Day number one. <laughs> and they're marching, marching around the city, you know. Day number two, marching around the city. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the, the men in the army of Israel? These great mighty men of battle and of valor coming home to their kids. Daddy, what'd you do today? What great battle did you win today? Daddy, did you kill anybody today? Oh, what happened? Son, there's some things that we just shouldn't talk about when it comes to battle. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, for six days they march around that city and nothing happens. I mean, can you imagine the people at Jericho? What are these guys doing? They're nuts. I mean, they lost their minds. Hoping on that seventh day, you remember what happened. The seventh time. And everybody begins to scream, noise, breaking of pots. I mean, the instruments playing, the noise all over. And the Bible tells us that the walls fell flat. I remember hearing uh, the, the scientists and, and, and all the people, they, they, you know, the people that are really smart, they always try to explain things away. And they say, well, you know what happened was that many people as they marched around those walls, uh, clearly the stomping of their feet weakened the foundations of those walls. And so on that day, that's, it just all fell down when that happened. Listen, you, it doesn't matter how many people we get out here and you march around the walls of this church. It ain't falling down, okay? That's not how that works. No, it was a great victory, a great battle that the Lord won. But you remember the questions that, that Joshua asked when God's plan was shared to him? God's plan that didn't make any sense? You remember how he looked at the Lord and said, God, I don't understand how that's going to work. I, I mean, like, how's the wall going to fall flat? And why six days and then on the seven, seven times and then the seven? Why do we do that? Do you remember what, what God said? I don't. You know why? Because it's not there. Because Joshua didn't question God whenever God's plan didn't make any sense. No, he simply had faith and obeyed. You remember what it was like for Noah when God came to him and told him to build the ark. <laughs> no, I've got a plan. City, the, the world is just exceedingly wicked. He said, men do exceedingly, that's all that they are doing, exceedingly wicked in my eyes. So I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. Okay, okay, a flood. Yeah. What's a flood? <laughs> you know, the Bible tells us that According to Genesis, that it had never rained. So that point, the, the, the water, there would be a dew that would come down and, and would miss the garden, would miss the ground. And that's how plants would grow and things would grow. Rain didn't fall down from the sky. God says, listen, it's going to rain. And there's going to be this flood. It's going to flood all the earth. And, Jonah, and, 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 and Noah's sitting there going, what? <laughs> I mean, uh, for 120 years. He's out there, beating away on this boat. Building away. 
with gopher wood, you know, gopher wood, you know, I mean, Ron, you probably use gopher wood on a regular basis, right, you know, I mean, he's just beating away with gopher wood, building this pickup, I mean, the people all around him are looking at him saying, what in the world are you doing? You're crazy. Water from the sky? What are, that, that's never even happened before. That's impossible. Noah, you've lost your mind for 120 years. He just kept working away. I can just imagine what it must have been like on that day when that first clap of thunder. Everybody's looking, going, what is that? As the lightning began to come down from the sky, as all of a sudden somebody wipes away that drop of water from their eye that fell from the heavens, and what's going on? As God shut the door of that ark, as the people now realizing that Noah truly followed the one true God. Do you remember all the pushback that Noah gave in the scripture? It says he looked and said, God, what are you talking about? You've never done anything like this. How is that going to work? Do you remember as he pushed back and said, build an ark? How am I supposed to do that? That's crazy. Uh, Two of every creature? How is that supposed to work? Do you remember what God said? Neither do I, because that conversation didn't happen. No, when when God came to, to Noah and said, God, I'm going to do something, Noah, that you've never seen Noah simply had faith. He simply obeyed. Remember what happened when Job, the richest man on the earth, all of his goods, all of his possessions, and he was a righteous man, a godly man. The Bible said that he eschewed evil. literally means that he ran from evil. In fact, the Bible tells us that not only was Job godly, his his children were godly as well. Job would get up and he would pray each and every day and ask God to to forgive his children's sins in case they had sinned. I mean, I'm telling you, he, he had a godly family. Job had a godly life. You know, one day the testing came in Job's life. You remember as the servant came running and, and Job, now you've lost all of your animals. And the next servant came running and, and Job, you've lost all your house. And, and the next servant came running and, and one after another. And before long, after first four servants, Job went from the richest man in the world, the richest man in the land, to a man that had nothing. Nothing. In the midst of incredible trials. In a midst where his whole life seemed to be falling apart. Do you remember how Job questioned God there in Job chapter number one? No. I don't either because he didn't. When his whole world seemed to be falling apart, Job simply had faith. You see, it was this faith that Moses had when he was on there on that beach next to the Red Sea. 
Neither side of him were mountains that stretched up into the sky, going down into the water. And behind him, Pharaoh's army was coming uh, to, to destroy, completely wipe out the children of Israel. All the children of Israel, they're panicking, scared to death. Why? Because here they are in the middle of the wilderness. They said, Moses, have you, you brought us out. Into, was there not enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out in here in the wilderness and they're here for us to die? Moses is in this impossible situation. There's nowhere to go. Red Sea in front of him, the, 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 the mountains beside him, Pharaoh's army behind him. He's got nowhere to go. And in the midst of an impossible situation, he stood up and he said, stand still. Stand still and see the salvation of God. God said, Moses, stretch out your staff. Stretch out your rod. And as Moses stretched out that rod, the water parted. On the midst of an impossible situation, Moses simply stretched out his staff and had faith in God. And it is this faith that James is referring to in verse number three when he penned those words. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. It's this faith that Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without it, it's impossible to please God. It's this faith that, that pleases the Lord. This faith that is stretched and it's increased when we face trials. See, faith truly is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that is not Scenes. It's the times when you can't see how everything is going to come together. The times when it feels like you're stretched like a rubber band to the point of breaking. The times when you don't understand how or why and you're faced with a decision to either turn and run from God or to run to Him. Faith is not having no doubts. Faith is not... Being in a place where you are just in complete and perfect peace. No, no, no. That's, that's not what faith is. It's trusting God more than your doubts. It's continuing to trust God when that's all that you have left. It's in those times that our faith is increased. In those times that, that we choose faith over doubt. That we please him. It's those times that the walls come crashing down, that the ark floats through the flood, that man stays faithful through heartbreak, and that God parts the Red Seas. And it's those moments, listen, that are the greatest encouragement to those watching or listen, those reading. Because here we are, some 3,000, 4,000 years later. Reading about the stories of some people way, way back in the day who simply had faith and how it challenges our heart. And it's when we go through the trials that God grows our faith and it's the greatest opportunity for us to point others to Christ. You see, trials... Is where our faith is increased, where our faith grows. 
And finally this morning, trials are where true contentment is found. We look again at verses 3 and 4. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. James points to something that's almost impossible to understand or to explain. He he says this, he says that that it may be perfect, perfect. Let let patience have, have her perfect work that you may be Perfect. The word perfect there means complete. He says wanting nothing. It literally means lacking nothing. Through, through trials, you can become the most complete and lacking of nothing person spiritually. You say, well, how is that possible? How, how, could, how can trials bring me to the place that I am, I am complete and I lack nothing spiritually? How is that How is that? possible well we've done this before it's been a little while ago but it's kind of like describing eating a strawberry right you say what are you talking about ron if i was gonna i'm gonna pick on you this morning okay uh ron if you were gonna describe do you like strawberries you eat strawberries okay if i was gonna ask you ron how would you describe what a strawberry tastes like like what what would you say love That is not the word I was thinking of. If you eat a strawberry Ron, what does it taste like? What is it, what's it taste like? It tastes good. It tastes good. It's, any other description? It's really good. It's really good. It's a succulent thing. Okay, Ron, if you were going to eat a watermelon, what would it taste like? You know? It would be really good, right? So, so, so what from, according to Ron's description, kind of, according to Ron's description, uh, a strawberry and a watermelon taste exactly the same. How many of you have eaten a strawberry and a watermelon and understand they don't taste exactly the same, right? You know? I mean, like, if you're going to describe it, if I was going to describe a watermelon or, or a strawberry, it'd be sweet, you know, most of the time, it'd be juicy, you know, things like that, it'd be succulent, it, you know. It'd, but ultimately, if you were going to describe one of these things, at the end of the day, you, it just, you just got to taste it, right? I mean, like, you just got to, like, at some point you get frustrated and you're like, yeah, no, they're not the same here. Just take a bite, you know? I mean, just try it. Try it for yourself. And what he's talking about here, it, it's just like that. What James tells these believers, it's, it's almost unbelievable. You, you just can't explain it. You, you just got to you got to experience it for yourself, really. That sometimes God brings you to the point where you can't do anything else. And in the midst of your trials, if you're like me and you're on the, 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 high, the trial highway, you're looking for exits everywhere. If I'd have been on that beach with Moses and the children of Israel, I'd have been climbing mountains. I'd have been trying to swim across the sea. I'd have been doing everything that I could to figure things out on my own. That's what I try to do when I go through trials. But James is telling these believers that there is a point where through the trials, you can do nothing else and the only thing that you can do is look to Jesus. And you realize he's all that you have left. And it's in those moments that you realize he was more than enough all along. That's what it's talking about when he says wanting 
nothing. It has this idea, and, and, and listen, maybe you've told somebody this, that, that he gives a peace that passes all understandings, right? Perfect peace. That's, that's, that, it, it, how do you describe it? You can't. The Bible gives us some verses that give us an idea of it. In Philippians chapter number 4, as, as Paul, in a jail cell, writes to the Philippians about having joy in Christ, pins in verse number 7, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. You can't wrap your mind around it. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In Isaiah 26, Isaiah writes, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed upon thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Trusting the Lord forever. For the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. I just know this. That there just comes this point where you just realize God is enough. He's more than enough to give you comfort in your trials. Ephesians 4.9 says, Now as he ascended, now what is he but he ascended first in the lower parts of the He's more than enough to, to walk with you through them. In Psalm 23 verse number 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy snap, they comfort me. In Isaiah 42 verse number 3, he says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You see, he's more than enough to carry your burden with you. In Psalm 55, verse 22, he says, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, casting all your care upon him, because he careth for you. In Matthew 11, or 11 28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can't explain it adequately. But I can tell you, as you face your trials, you can get to that point that you realize no matter what. If you lost everything like Job, you would still be able to say, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord had taken away. Oh, but at the end of it, blessed be the name of the Lord. You will find if everything else fails and all you have is God, that he is still enough. That through your pain, he is enough. Through sickness, he is enough. Through heartbreak, he is enough. Through financial struggle, he is enough. Through uncertainty, he is enough. And through your spiritual battle, he is enough. I can tell you this morning, come what may, whatever you may face, that God is more than enough. And when you come to that realization, it's then that you will find that you too have joy in the midst of trials. And it is then that we're pointing others to Christ. In a greater way. Because we're being like him. Hebrews 12.2 tells us looking unto Jesus. The one that we should keep our eyes on. Hey listen he's the author and the finisher of what? Of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. What was that joy? What did he joy in? He endured the cross. 
despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, our greatest example. And we can look to him. And if he could have joy through what he went through. Oh, listen, when we find out he is enough, we too can have that same. Christian trials are where our faith is increased in growth. It's it's where real contentment is found. And listen, it is where we find that He is enough. I hope no matter where you are this morning, whether you are going through it, coming out of it, or it's just around the corner, you'll decide this morning, Lord, help me have joy. I don't even know how it's possible, but God help me to have joy through my trials so that I can point others to you. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Father, thank you now for this opportunity that you give us to be able to come and to worship you, to be able to come and to be able to serve you. But God, as we look at this difficult subject in the book of James, Lord, I know that your word is always timely. It's always, it's always right. And yet, God, sometimes it's, it's, it's a little extra challenging. Lord, you know I don't have this figured out. I, I don't understand it completely. I, I can't even really explain it adequately. But, God, I know, I know that you are enough. And I pray for some in this room this morning that maybe they're going through something, some that are going through trials that maybe nobody else knows about. I pray this morning that they would find, God, that you are enough. That they would discover a peace, Lord, that as we say, does pass all understanding. Why? Because we are trusting in you. We have that faith. The God above all else, no matter what may come, we have a faith that moves us to action and trusts you. God, I pray for each person that's in this room this morning that they would experience what this is. To have this faith in the midst of trials. And I pray that this morning there will be victories won in hearts in this room. With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. This is an opportunity for you maybe just to spend a few moments with the Lord. And, and you can sure do that in your seat. You can come to an altar. But I would encourage you to do this. Would you spend some time with the Lord? I know one of the greatest struggles is when we face difficulties, hard times. How to have joy in the midst of it. To keep trusting God. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Kyle, I've been through things you don't even understand. And I'll just be honest, I've been running from them. Maybe you've been going through some things. You say, my family, I just, I don't understand. It seems like everything's falling apart. But this morning, I want to choose to have faith in God. To trust Him. This morning, as we have this time of invitation, I hope that you'll spend time with him, trusting him, allowing him to speak to your heart. With heads bowed and with eyes closed.
Let's stand together as the music plays. If God's spoken to your heart, why don't you respond to him this morning?